and roll icon. One of few. A tragic story. A beautiful story. A story that sort of grabs you from the start, doesn't stop pulling, and at the very end, you're just satisfied. That's what Boz Lerman's Elvis did for me. It was rejuvenating to watch. No real other way of putting it for me. It was like I had went to the theater expecting a biopic film, and I sort of got more than that, you know? This film, it shows you how big of an icon Elvis was. And the way Boz decides to distribute it to us is he shows the film in basically three stages of Elvis. You know, you have his early days um, where, he where he gets discovered by the colonel. And you get the middle of his success where he has his big comeback in 68, which, by the way, was some of the best parts of that movie was the comeback, right? And then ultimately we get the sad sort of latter days of Elvis and his career. And Colonel Tom Parker, played by Tom Hanks, did a very good job. It was interesting, you know. Uh, I went with my fiance Randy, and we sort of said, if anything, if there was one thing we maybe didn't fully enjoy, or not so much not enjoy, but like we just thought maybe somebody else other than Tom Hanks could have been cast as Colonel Tom Parker. But he did a great job. I thought he was effective. I thought he was very uh, interesting to listen to. I mean, the choice that the director, Boz Lerman, made to have Colonel Tom Parker tell the story from his perspective was just really, really well done. I thought that was a really smart choice because if you take that movie and you try and tell it from Elvis's perspective, I just think that you're going to, it's easier to find loopholes that way. It's easier to be like, well, how do we know what Elvis's perspective was, right? And where we take Colonel Tom Parker and use that perspective throughout the movie, you know, there are some that would consider me the villain of this here story. I did, I really liked Tom Hanks. I thought he did a good job. Um, he was in some kind of a fat suit. And, you know, the look was, when I looked up Colonel Tom Parker afterwards, it was, it looked pretty close. And, you know, that was just, that was one minor detail that I was like, yeah, maybe somebody else could have done it. But Tom Hanks did a great job and, you know, we moved past that. Austin Butler. Austin Butler, if you have not heard that name, you will after you, you know, see Elvis. Like, I just think this guy did a bang-up job of Elvis. Like, you look at the comparisons to young Elvis, and even, like, it's not easy to play a character, let alone three stages of life of that character, right? Like, and he, like, Elvis, let's be honest, like, the transformation from when he was young to when he's, you know, in his final stages of life, he makes, there's a lot of different looks there. There's a lot of different ways that he moved, the style, you know, the way his voice changed. 
And Austin Butler just nailed it. He nailed it, in my opinion. It's also, it's important to take into account that Austin Butler, he plays, like he sings the young version of Elvis. That's him. Obviously, when we get into the later stages of Elvis's career, we get, um, you know, voiceovers, I assume, of Elvis actually singing and Austin Butler just, you know, mimicking his actions and singing over top of that. The movements by Austin Butler were what sold me. You know, it's Elvis Presley, when I watch old videos of him, you know, obviously I'm never going to understand to the fullest extent of just how big Elvis was. But if this movie is any sort of mirror reflection of what Elvis was like, I would have been a huge Elvis fan, you know? Uh, his movements, the way he talked, the way he walked, the swagger. And you sort of pair that swagger that I'm talking about, maybe a modern day term, with Elvis, who was like known to be the king of rock, king of rock and roll, and he just had just this way about him, you know? He had this look, you know? He had... He was just cool in every way, shape, and form. And with Austin Butler, I feel the same way. He's just cool in this movie. And you pair that with his ability to imitate Elvis, and not just imitate him, but he just, he's naturally gifted. He looks that way. You know, he looks the part of Elvis Presley. And I'm just like, I, I think back to when Austin Butler was cast, and I thought to myself, because Ansel Elgort, if you don't know who that is, just Google him. He was supposed to play the role of Elvis. He was basically, they were all set to go. And Austin Butler actually sent in a audition tape to the director without really consulting anyone. And that's how he got the role. And ultimately, you know, we see the early screen test of Austin Butler. There's a video surfacing online and he's wearing the pink suit that he wears for the first half of that film. And that suit with him in the guitar and his hair slicked like Elvis and he's singing, oh, that's all right, mama. <laughs> you know, that's all right with you. He does such a good job and you can tell why immediately he was cast. And obviously they... They tweak it a little bit for the final performance in the movie, but I just think that early screen test is just like, you know, it, they saw Elvis through the lens. And I'm so glad that they cast Austin Butler because I had seen Austin Butler in other things and he was good, but they were quite minor roles. And to hear, you know, Elvis, like that's a huge icon, right? That's a huge role to land. And I just think that this guy is on the map now because he killed it. He killed it. And I was super impressed. And the movie is like almost three hours long. And I blinked and that thing was over. It flew. It flew by. I had such a good time. Not only is the story intriguing and Elvis's life, like obviously that's super intriguing, right? But the performances by everyone are what keep you drawn in. And the way the director decided to sort of make his transitions from shot to shot. 
That's what had me drawn in. I've always loved Baz Luhrmann films. He did an adaptation of The Great Gatsby with Leonardo DiCaprio and Tobey Maguire. And that was really, really, like, exceptionally well done. And that's the first time we've sort of seen, like, a older concept, like an older, in this case, an older book in The Great Gatsby, adapted into a more modern style of cinema. And Boz made this great, big, awesome story with, you know, dramatic shots, dramatic music. He pairs modern music with the old music. And that's what sort of makes Boz's vision come to life, in my opinion. When I watch him in The Great Gatsby, when I watch what he did with that, there's these extravagant fireworks in the background and huge parties and, like I said, modern artists or modern music that he adapts into the film that sort of, it goes side by side with the olden style music or the older style music, I mean. And this happens in Elvis. But with this case, they take sort of some Elvis tracks, like the classic Elvis tracks, and they throw it in, remixed with some modern artists. I've been listening to the Elvis album on Apple Music for the better half of a week since I've seen this movie. Like, like I just can't stop listening to it. Number one, Elvis's voice. You know, like, I never fully paid attention to Elvis. I would listen to, you know, obviously the hits like Burn in Love, Jailhouse Rock. Like, I don't like, see, I'm still not even overly familiar with his stuff. But at this point, it's like, I want to be familiar with it. And when I listen to um, Elvis now, I have his classic hits album. It's awesome. You know, it's really good music. But then I kind of pair that, like you pair that with Boz's choice to use like Doja Cat's new song Vegas you know and it's the you ain't nothing but a hound dog but it turns into a sort of alternate rap version of it and I just think with that and the flashy lights of Memphis Tennessee when he's driving down the strip in the you know in his in his beautiful car hair slicked back you know he's going to see BB King yeah like it worked really well for me and it's flashy enough to keep your attention but it also keeps a storyline and you can really enjoy what you're watching the entire time the other thing i wanted to talk about is just how committed elvis was to his mom you know he was a mama's boy and i truly love that he he accepts that fame is what's going to feed his family is essentially how I look at it. And it's a real shame the way his career went. It's a real shame that Colonel Tom Parker had these debts that he owed to Las Vegas, to the house, whatever you want to call it. And it was basically his job to keep Elvis on that stage at all times so that his debts were no longer relevant which is fascinating, you know, and Elvis was overworked and they didn't get too heavy into the drugs and, um, you know, the pills and stuff. There is brief mention of that. There is brief mention that the pills that he took were sort of, you know, it starts at a young age. Like he's on the road with his 
with his groupies and he does take a pill or two here or there but then in the later stages we see him sort of sweating on stage and you know blabbering to the crowd if you will um and yeah i mean i thought austin butler did a great job at that too like just the you know at one point his character calls out the colonel on stage and that scene is actually like pretty riveting like when you're watching it and he's you know screaming at the colonel behind stage behind the curtain it's uh yeah it's pretty intense and it makes you kind of sad for Elvis because he was overworked and you know the drugs were sort of a product of his environment his music was a product of his environment and they really established that early in the movie you know Elvis sort of he was almost baptized into music in a way is how they portrayed it in the movie and I really like that you know like he's he walks into sort of this Baptist preacher like this sort of tent and they're all preaching and you know let's let's be honest he was he was uh he had a lot of um african-american sort of culture surrounding him and when he went into that church that day they sort of you see him almost go into the trance while god sort of touches him with his his gifts is essentially how I see that scene. You know, he's praying so hard and singing and, and, you know, the hands are in the air, all of that stuff. And he sort of, he faints into the crowd as a child. He faints into the arms of the Baptist church. And he sort of, he's having a, you know, not a seizure, but it's like he's definitely, something's happening there, right? And I, I take that as, you know, Elvis was gifted from a young age. And he's a product of that Memphis jazzy sort of well maybe not so much jazzy but like it is like a style of music you know it's it's like it's like Compton with rap you know like there's just a there's a style there's a swagger that comes out of there you know they lived in this harsh environment whereas in Memphis Elvis was surrounded by the church he was surrounded by gospel he was surrounded by you know, people who at the time were still discriminated against. And that gave him an even cooler look, a cooler style. You know, he had that swagger. He hung out with guys like B.B. King, which by the way, B.B. King, who is still alive to this day, he, he was really cool too. You know, and the message that he delivers to Elvis when Elvis is partying with him, saying, you know, they won't let a black man do this. You know, you're a white boy. You can do this. You can dance like this and you're going to get away with it. And Elvis was that stepping stone in a way. You know, he did things on stage that the black folk did on stage. And Elvis even makes mention of that when he's watching this guy perform at a party that he's at with B.B. King. And he's like, man, that guy moves well kind of thing you know like he moves awesome he moves great and you sort of see where Elvis transitions into what he is today like he's like because he says he's like I that guy should be on stage they would love him the crowd would love him and that's when B.B. King sort of corrects him and says that's never going to happen you know it doesn't matter how much talent we have down here like 
you need to you need to stand up for us. You need to do this. <laughs> Essentially, how I take it. And uh, yeah, there's that famous picture of Elvis and BB King standing on the on the balcony at that party. So you know that meeting happened. And it's just like they take little pieces of history and little pieces of Elvis's life, and they sprinkle it into this larger-than-life story, which I liked a lot. You know, you learn a lot about Priscilla Presley, his wife. You learn about how he named his jet, how he named his private plane after Lynn Marie. I think it's Lynn Marie. See, I should have done my research on this because I've only seen the movie once, and I don't know much about Elvis's life, but I think Lynn Marie Presley is his daughter that he named the jet after. And Randy told me afterwards that actually she his daughter married Michael Jackson or was, you know, dating Michael Jackson for a while and they have a child together, which is wild to me. But when you look at pictures of Priscilla and you see her in the film, it's very close, right? And you sort of see how Elvis's marriage crumbles over time. And that makes sense too. You know, he literally at one point loses everything and that becomes very apparent that he's alone in his giant, you know, Vegas residency. And yeah, you know, we, we, take, we take certain looks and views into Elvis's life and it's paired with these monumental places that he's been, you know? Like we see the Graceland house. We see the house he built for his mom. You know, and I thought that was a heartbreaking scene too when his mom passes away. You know, Austin Butler is just terrified. And I think the Colonel saw an opportunity there to get in. But also Elvis is, you know, he talks to the Colonel like a father in the early days. Like you're there for me, you're a father, but he was manipulated. Or at least that's how it seems. He was manipulated by the Colonel and the Colonel overworked him. And I think my favorite scene, I've thought about this for a while, because it's like, do you have a favorite scene in Elvis? And it's like, there's many, right? There's just many. But for me, it was the comeback. It was the 68 comeback where he's in the white suit and sort of the preparation that went into surprising the Colonel with that, you know, because the Colonel wants him to do a Christmas special and he wants him to sing all these Christmas songs. And Elvis would just sort of rebel. He would rebel against what people wanted to see or what the Colonel wanted people to see. And I love that about him. You know, he was, he stuck to his guns. He was awesome. And the 68 comeback is done really, really well. You know, the sign, uh, he's got a crowd there that essentially is, you know, it's like a sitcom crowd in a way is how the Colonel describes it to Elvis. And there's, you know, canned laughter and canned applause where they shine a light that says applause and then they all clap. But Elvis had that crowd. No doubt in my mind, Elvis had that crowd, you know, with the full black leather suit uh, that he's wearing, you know, and you can look up these YouTube videos of Elvis actually singing like that and Elvis actually doing the things that we see in the film. And it's, they just, they nailed every little move, every little mannerism, the music, all of it. It was stylish. You felt like you were there. You felt like you were watching Elvis is what I liked. 
And when he comes out with, like, after Kennedy is shot, he comes out with the white suit and he sings that dream song. Now, I don't remember what it's called right now. I'm going to have to look it up. But it's like, If I Can Dream is the song. And, you know, he's, he's swaying back and forth with that right arm and he, the way he's singing and the big Elvis sign in red is behind him. Yeah, that's for me, that's one of the most powerful moments in the movie because he knew that the country needed a voice, you know, and he had an opportunity there. And it was an inspiring performance. It really, really was. And I think... In the latter stages of Elvis' career, you know, he's, he had such distinct looks in his stages of life that you could really tell where we were in relation to the timeline, you know? Like when Elvis is wearing his capes and he's on the Vegas stage, they just did a great job of doing like montages and stuff like that. So you knew he was playing hundreds of shows at Vegas, you know, every single night. I love that he would go into the audience and kiss the women too. Like obviously that's something that Elvis did and you know, ultimately Priscilla and him, they didn't work out and all this stuff, but it was just women loved Elvis and you can see why, you know, he was the bad boy. He really was, but he was also this charm, charming, laid back, cool persona that he brought to stage every night. And then when he was on stage, he was a rock star. He's wearing these elaborate uniforms. He's dancing like crazy. He's so into it. And it's just, yeah, it was a rock and roll movie, you know? (laughs) I was super stoked. And I know that Randy and I, when we left the theater, we were like, she asked me, she's like, so how was it? What did it, how did it feel for you? And I was actually speechless. It hasn't happened to me in a while, but I was speechless. I was like, that was a good movie. Like that was really good. I was not expecting it to be that good. And it's by far the best biopic that I've seen to date. And I think that it just does Elvis justice, his legacy. You know, his talent, his problems. You know, he was, he was done a disservice by his manager. His manager took advantage of him and used his talent to work him into the ground. And ultimately, Elvis, Elvis died at the age of 42. And it's sad. It really is. And they really, it hits home when you're watching the film and he sits down at that piano for the last time. And it, it, they did a great job with this. They had Austin Butler, you know, in that exact same attire with the swollen sort of face, the swollen Elvis look. And this is the last time you see Austin Butler on screen because they made this choice to transition from Austin Butler to the actual Elvis at the end of the movie. And we see Elvis belting Unchained Melody. Like, and I, like that video was on YouTube as well of him playing that final performance. And he's sitting at the piano. Someone's holding the mic for him. And it's just 
it sends chills down your spine. It does. It just, there's just, there's so much talent there and raw emotion. And you can tell he's hurt. You can tell it's late in his life. You can tell that he's just not all there, but he's still got it. He's still got that talent. And when he belts Unchained Melody, Melody at the end, it's, it's very powerful. And, you know, the, the shot kind of fades to one single burning light that slowly dims out. And we hear the iconic line, Elvis has left the building. It was just, yeah, yeah. Highly recommend Elvis. You know, this has been an awesome podcast for me because I've finally got to share some of my thoughts on this Elvis movie. I would recommend it to literally anyone. Um, I scored it at a 9 out of 10. You know, I, I've been, I'm meaning to sit down and have a conversation with my grandpa about this film because I know he saw it twice and I know that he was a huge Elvis fan throughout Elvis's career. So I just wanted to get some perspective on that too eventually. Um, but yeah, thank you guys for listening. This has been Comic Movie Guy, the podcast. I'll talk to you guys on the next one. Have a great rest of your day.